Well, I'm really enjoying our series that we're part of at the moment, uh, Relationship Through God's Top Ten. So we're looking at the Ten Commandments and kind of shedding some new light on, on these commandments. And I love the focus of relationship in, these in this series because actually God's relationship with the Israelites and the Israelites' relationship with God is the context for these, this very famous passage of, of Scripture. And I think a lot of us are probably really familiar with these verses, even if we've not actually read uh, this portion of Scripture in Exodus. Probably most of us could recite some of them, couldn't we? And um, I think these verses, they are probably printed and they are hung and they are framed in all sorts of faith-filled, but also actually faithless environments around the world. And it really does feel like this is God's ultimate do this and don't do that list, doesn't it? But I think we all know that the danger of kind of lifting a portion of scripture out of its context means that we don't kind of understand it as it was intended. And this is kind of the, one of the reasons why we're doing this series is because I think a lot of us might know the do's and the don'ts, but we don't know the heart behind um, these really important verses. So that's why this is so important. Recently, I was reading the Ten Commandments in the message, and it read like this, the last four. It said, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lies about your neighbor. And it really does feel like God's kind of like, don't do this, no, don't murder, don't tell lies, don't say anything bad about your, about your neighbor, right? It's, like, it's almost like he's telling his beloved Israelites off. That's what it sounds like. Many of you know uh, Dan and I, my husband and I, we've got three boys, Jacob, Ben, and Charlie, seven, five, and two. And uh, there are days where I feel like a lot of do-nots are coming out of my mouth. Don't kick balls in the house. Stop and don't, don't punch your brother. Don't say mean things to your brother. Don't kick your brother. Don't do this. Don't do that. Not too many people on the trampoline right? You're going to get hurt, all these things. And then there's other times where, you know, those are maybe ones that are, you'd, you'd think maybe happen in our house. But then there's other ones where there's words that come out of my mouth and I think, oh my goodness, I can't believe that I even said that. A few weeks ago, our youngest, Charlie, who's two, he was having a bath with our, our seven-year-old Jacob. And Charlie, I kid you not, he stood up and he deliberately, very deliberately, you could see on his face, weed on his brother. And then I, so I say, stop, Charlie, don't weed on your brother, right? These are words that come out of my mouth and I think, I never thought I'd have to even tell somebody not to do that, right? But as a parent, that's what I have to do. And I know that most of you are not parents in this room and so you have this joy to look forward to in your life. Mm -hmm. But trust me when I say, this can become your normal. Yeah. It's true. And there are times, actually, when we have visitors, we have lots of people that come through our house. Some stay for a long time, some stays for a short time. But sometimes those people that are only with us for maybe a day or something, and uh, they, they catch us on a day. They catch my boys on a day where maybe they need a lot of correction, and they catch me on a day where I'm giving out a lot of don'ts. And I worry after that, thinking, oh, man, I hope that those people don't, like, walk away and think, man, that mom, all she does is say, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And I actually wonder, oh, no, do they think that I'm, like, 
just mean. And that's like all that I communicate to my kids. They don't actually maybe see all the love that I give them, all the care that I give for them. And I think that sometimes I know I've thought about the Ten Commandments like this. I've solely just looked at this portion of scripture without thinking about the context. And it's almost like we've caught God and the Israelites maybe on a bad day where God's like, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And we forget his heart for his people. Because as a parent, I can tell you that most, maybe not all, but most of my do-nots and do's for our kids are actually because I love them. They're actually because I want our home to be a safe and a loving environment. I want to have for our boys between them, each other and with others and between me and my kids, I want those relationships to all be loving, caring, healthy, strong. And actually these do's and do nots are part of cultivating that, part of them learning that. And I think that that's God's heart with the Ten Commandments, is that he wants us to live in that good relationship with him, but also with others, to live in solid, strong, healthy relationships. And that's the context of this series. That's the context of these, of these Ten Commandments. And so with that said, this morning, we're going to be looking at no murder as it says in the message, or you shall not murder, or you must not murder, depending on the translation. But this is actually the principle of love. This is God's principle of love. So Google tells me that murder is the unlawful, premeditated killing of one human being by another. So basically, it's to plan to kill somebody and then to kill them. Now, I think that we would all agree here that to plan to kill somebody and to kill them is wrong, right? We, we, we can agree on that. And I'm also guessing that we have no murderers in the house this morning. Um, and so perhaps I could say that I've just been given the easiest sermon to preach in the whole entire world, and so maybe we can just sing real love one more time and go get some cake and call it a day, hey? But then Jesus, he actually addresses this commandment in the New Testament. And suddenly this commandment gets a bit more tricky, a bit more difficult to apply to our lives. Matthew 5, verse 21 to 22 in the NIV, it says, you have heard it said of those of old, sorry, to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. In the Passion Translation, it says, you're familiar with the commandment that the older generation was taught, do not murder, or you will be judged. But I'm telling you, if you hold murder, or sorry, if you hold anger in your heart towards a fellow believer, you are subject to judgment. Whoever demeans and insults a fellow believer is answerable to the congregation. And whoever calls down curses on a fellow believer is in danger of being sent to the fiery hell. 1 John 3 verse 15 says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life, 
abiding in him. So suddenly, you shall not murder or no murder almost becomes like equal with anger, with hate, with even insulting people and treating them badly. Now, I don't know about you, but I think in a bizarre way, we all kind of rank sin a little bit, right? So murder would be at the top, right? Like if on a scale of one to 10, one being low, 10 being high. Murdering, I think we would agree that that's kind of at the top. And it's easy to think that maybe gossip, insulting people, depending on what's being said, maybe that's between a three and a five. Maybe theft would be a little bit higher, but again, depending on what it is. What do you think? Weeing on your brother, 1.5. Let's get real, right? Not too high. But Jesus and John, they go and they say that actually insulting, hating, holding anger in your heart, they equalize that with murder. They make that a 10. And so they're really serious that that's not okay. It's not okay to hold that in your heart. Because actually, I think what they're saying is that at the root of murder is hate and anger. That's what causes somebody to to do that action. And again, remember the context of this. It's not like God, it's not like Jesus is coming um, and being just kind of giving us another difficult thing to live by. It's because he wants us to have good relationship with him and for us to live in good relationship with others. It is about this principle of love. And so he wants us to deal with this, this hate and this anger in our lives because our relationships are better for it. He wants us to have good relationship with him and good relationships with others. So I think one thing that's really helpful to realize about hate and anger is that a lot of hate and anger has a root. It's there because something has happened. It's not like all of a sudden hate and anger is just in your life. No. There's a reason it's there. It's come from something. Something has happened. And maybe it's one event. Maybe it's a series of small events um, that have happened in day-to-day life. Sometimes anger, it can build in our lives towards our friends. Maybe a friend has borrowed something and they they say again and again and again that they're going to give it back. But they don't. And actually, we end up feeling disrespected by them. They take our stuff. And they think, oh, we're just friends. But it's like, no, actually, I don't feel good about that. And, and anger can build in our lives. We feel hurt that they would treat us that way. Or maybe we have a fam- family member that has a lot of money. And they flaunt it around. And then somebody else in the family has a need. And they don't help. And jealousy emerges. And anger starts growing towards that person. Or maybe we've been asking God for a miracle or a healing for a long time. And we don't feel like he's coming through. We feel such pressure from our circumstances. And we wonder, where is God? And it's, it, we can feel betrayed by him. We can feel betrayed by God. And again, that can grow anger. That can grow hate in our lives. And I think these offenses, these moments where these things happen, it's actually because we have an expectation that's not met. We have an unmet expectation. We have an expectation that something should happen. Our friends should treat us well. Our uncle should help our other co- our cousin that's in need. God, he should heal my mom, right? That's our expectation. He sh- these things should happen. But then when they don't, 
we feel let down, we feel pain, we feel disappointed. And that can be really difficult to deal with. And I think sometimes it's helpful to realize that this hate and anger is actually rooted um, in a relationship or an event where there are these unmet expectations, where there's these disappointments, where there's this pain. And that's what we've got to deal with. Because when disappointment and pain, when all those things, when, when they sit in our lives, it's like a breeding ground. It's like that's where hate and anger grow from. And you know how like a sitting puddle, that's what breeds mosquitoes, right? Like that's where they, they have their babies and then there's more mosquitoes and then they come back and they make more mosquitoes. And it's like, it's almost like this pain and this disappointment, if we hold that in our lives, that's exactly where the enemy loves to come and breed more hopelessness, more disappointment, more pain. And then from that, hate and anger grow. But the goodness of God, like we were singing this morning, he's a good, good father. He doesn't want us to live like that. It's not good for our relationship with him, but it's not good for our relationship with others. And so he's given us a really beautiful gift to help us to deal with that stuff in our lives. And that's forgiveness. Because we can, when we forgive, that puddle, if you will, it can be washed away. It can be cleaned away. That anger can be dismantled. That hate can be dismantled. And we can be cleansed of that. Jesus can do that. And it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to happen in a moment. It would be awesome if that did happen. But oftentimes we have to keep forgiving and again and again, especially if the, the hurt and pain is really deep. Because it can take a long time to heal. And Jesus, he walks that journey with us. But I think that forgiveness is the key to not murdering. It's the key to not having hate and anger in our lives. So what is forgiveness and how do we do it? Forgiveness, I think, could be defined in many, many different ways. Uh, but I think a really simple but good definition of, of it is, is that it's to wipe the slate clean or to cancel a debt. In the Bible, in the Greek, there's some really beautiful um, definitions, uh, or sorry, beautiful words for forgiveness. I won't try to pronounce them, um, but they mean to wash away or to send away. Another one means to bestow favor and to show kindness. So there's this, this sense that the offense or that pain, it, it can be washed away. It can be sent away. It's gone. But then also we can release kindness. We can release blessing to the person that's, that's hurt us. So what does this look like practically? So I, I've jotted down a few thoughts here. I don't think these are steps necessarily, but just helpful tools maybe if we think about forgiveness. One thing is to remember to acknowledge the pain and to release it. Sometimes people think that for, to forgive somebody means you just try to like get it out of your mind and never think about it again. I don't think that that's what God means. It's not kind of us um, kind of living in denial of what's happened. It's actually being very real about the pain, but giving that over to God, saying to God, that really hurt when my friend treated me like that, but I give that to you. Another thing to remember is that hurting people hurt people. So the person that may have caused pain in your life, that person has brokenness in their own life. We hurt people when we hurt ourselves. 
when we are hurting ourselves. We're all broken, and it's really helpful to remember that. Another thing to remember is that God forgave you. God forgave me. And Jesus, he says that we have been forgiven of so much more than we will ever need to forgive others for. And also remember that God, he tells us to forgive. Sometimes we feel or we think that we should extend forgiveness when we feel like it. Actually, that's not true. We're told to forgive not just when we feel like it. And so sometimes forgiving is a real act of obedience. And we say to God, oh, I'm still, I'm feeling so upset about this. But God, I choose, I choose to forgive because your word, it tells me that I should walk in forgiveness. And so you make that decision to do that. And remember to forgive and then keep on forgiving. It would be so great if we could just speak out forgiveness one time and that kind of gets rid of all the pain and the hurt and, and then we feel totally better. That does happen sometimes, but oftentimes we've got to keep on forgiving again and again. And remember to pray and to bless those who hurt you. Because actually when we pray for somebody else and we bless them, we can get in touch with God's heart for them. And our hearts can be changed towards those people. And again, this can be really difficult, and maybe we don't feel like doing it. But sometimes it's a simple choice. It's an act of obedience of, of blessing somebody rather than cursing them. And with all of these things, something that personally I found really helpful when dealing with, when extending forgiveness, is to say the words out loud. I don't know about you, but most a lot of my prayers are, are uh, in my head, right? Quiet ones between me and God, talking to him quietly throughout the day. But, but personally, I find that when it comes to forgiveness, there's just something so much more powerful when I speak it out to God, when, when in my prayers I'm saying, I forgive my uncle because he did this and this and this. It hurt God. It hurt so much. But God, I give that to you. Something about just speaking that out is, is really helpful. Another, another thing that I find really helpful is that I'm a very visual person. And so often, when, especially when it comes to issues of forgiveness, I just find that if I, that I imagine myself in front of Jesus before the cross, and I have a box. And uh, sometimes the box is small, sometimes the box is big. It depends on what's happened and how I'm feeling. But I just imagine that pain in that box, that event in that box. Sometimes it's a big box and that person is in that box. And I just give that to Jesus. I just bring it before the cross and I leave it with him. And I just say, God, you deal with this. I give this to you. I give you this pain. I give you this disappointment. I give you this person. They hurt me so much, but God, I forgive them and I leave them here with you. And like I said before, sometimes it takes doing this again and again and again. And it can be actually quite hard work to truly forgive somebody, especially when that pain and that hurt is really deep. But it's so important because the opposite, unforgiveness, it actually keeps us connected to that pain. It keeps us connected to the person that has caused this offense. It keeps us connected to the, to, to the disappointment it, it's like it chains us to these things. But when we release that pain, when we release that situation, when we, when we release that person, then we become freed. It's a part of us living in freedom.
And I think it's important to remember that forgiveness doesn't mean that what's happened to you is okay. It doesn't mean um, that if somebody's mistreated you, it doesn't suddenly mean that you're saying it's okay that that happened. Absolutely not. It doesn't also mean that you should allow that to happen again. Again, that's not true. But if somebody has hurt you, God can enable you to forgive them and to let go of that hate and that anger and enable you to love them. Again, that's that principle of love. And there's lots that I could say about this principle of love. I was thinking, what does it mean to live a love-filled life? You know, I think one of the, like I said, is to live in forgiveness. Um, what kind of, how do we demonstrate that? And I thought, oh, this could go in so many different directions. And, and I read some verses in Mark that I was really moved by and really felt like we should uh, focus on these. And so Mark 12, verse 29 to 31 says this. Jesus answered them, the most important of all the commandments is this. The Lord Yahweh, our God, is one. You are to love the Lord Yahweh, your God, with every passion in your heart, with all the energy in your being, and with every thought that's within you, and with all of your strength. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second one is this. You must love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. You will never find greater com a greater commandment than these. John 13, verse 34, also says this. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. And when I was preparing for this morning and thinking about this principle of love, I was really moved by, by both of these verses. Because these Ten Commandments, these relational commandments, can be summed up in these verses. And I was struck by how this commandment of do not murder, no murder, do not hate, don't live in anger, how it can be summed up in, you must love your neighbor as yourself or love each other just as much as I've loved you. And it just struck me how hard it is to love our neighbor when we don't love ourselves. And it struck me how difficult it is to give out God's love when we don't know his love within us. When we don't know, like we sang before, that he's such a good God. When we don't know that real love. And I know that I've said this before earlier this year, but I'll say it again. We can't give out what we don't have. And so if we don't have the love of God, the forgiveness of God, if we don't have those things in our lives, then it's hard for us to give that to others. And as I was preparing for this morning, I just, I just wondered... How many of us struggle to receive God's love? How many of us much sorry, how many of us might actually have hate and anger towards ourselves? If we're honest, how many of us struggle to get over our faults and our failures? How many of us dislike our personalities? How many of us hate our bodies? How many of us long to be like somebody else or have somebody else's life and actually compare ourselves to them? How many of us struggle with feelings of unworthiness or being unlovable? How many of us in our minds, we, have, we hear words in our, in our heads, in our hearts of, I'm so horrible. 
I can't do anything right. I'm a disappointment. I'm a drain on everybody. I'm never good enough. Because these voices, they rob us of faith. They rob us of joy. They rob us of love. And they also really rob us of the ability to think about others and love those people as well. And I really think that God is not just concerned with us dealing with our hate and our anger towards other people. I think he's deeply concerned with us dealing with our hate and our anger towards ourselves because actually it starts there. I think he's saying, don't live in hate and anger towards others, but I think he's also saying, don't live in hate and anger towards yourselves. Because God, he just loves us too much to live like that. But also in order to ever love others, we've got to grab hold of this for ourselves. Because again, we can't give out what we don't have. If we've not received and experienced the love of the Father, we can't give that out to others. We can't truly extend that to our family and our friends and our neighbors. And actually, the things that we say about God, or sorry, the things that we say about others, we're saying about God because we're made in God's image. And this is true if I'm insulting somebody else or if I'm insulting myself, I'm insulting our maker. We're made in his image. And I think he's saying it's not okay to do that to others, but it's also not okay to do that of ourselves. So whether we hate others or whether we hate ourselves, we're hating the beautiful, amazing, incredible creation of our Father. I read this about self-hate. Self-hate ranges between a feeling of self-disappointment to self-condemnation. We look around at others and compare ourselves, and we don't measure up. We hate ourselves for failing to accomplish. We hate ourselves for what's been, doing, what's been done to ourselves, for what we've done, for how we look, for how we feel. It often, li- it often lives under the surface of our lives because it's never been named and identified. Some Christians always feel terrible about themselves and seem to continually struggle with anger. So, it's simply a judgment that we make against ourselves. It's a voice of condemnation, of accusation, a voice that shouts or maybe whispers, failure, unclean, damned, a voice of self-hatred. And I really felt strongly this morning that some of us in this room can really identify to these feelings, to having these voices in our heads or in our hearts. And I just want to say that God wants to bring freedom this morning. I really believe that. Because God, his love for us is so vast and it's so unending. And he wants us to live by that truth. He wants us to see ourselves through his eyes, to be measured by his standards. He wants us to be led by his voice. And he wants us to live in freedom. Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things. Sorry, so, he can do, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Psalm 13, 18 verse 19 says, He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. 
And I really think that one of um, the enemy's tactics is for us to get so locked up in, in self-hate, in self-condemnation, low self-esteem, um, insecurities, and, and ultimately just, again, that hate and that anger towards ourselves. Because if he can do that, we will never love our neighbor. We'll never transform our city if we can't, and, and our families and those around us, if, if we don't know God's love for ourselves, if we don't receive from him, we don't have anything to give away. He loves, the enemy loves to lock us in so that we won't move out and bring his kingdom to those around us. And so this morning, I just, I really feel like God wants to bring us freedom. This morning, while we were singing Real Love, there was just such a sense of, of God's spirit. And I just feel like, I felt like God wants us to, to wants to bring an, an even greater revelation of that, of that freedom in him, that freedom from self-hate, but also that freedom that comes through forgiveness.